And so you're stuck with me this morning. Um, I'm going to share a little bit. <laughs> I want to share a little bit about myself. Uh, when I was growing up, I would be what you would call a nerd. Uh, some of you are saying you're still that way. Um, but I was into comic books. And before I got into comic books, I was really into one particular character. Does anybody know the name of this gentleman right here? Waldo. Waldo. And before I got into some of the more serious comic books like Iron Man and Thor and Captain America, and then on the DC side of Batman and Superman, I was really into Waldo. And there were these books called Where's Waldo? You all remember this? And the creators of this book, they were kind of devilish because what they would do is they would say, the goal of the book is to find that guy right there in this picture. You see that? And I was obsessed with these books. I was obsessed with like looking at them and trying to find Waldo. And I was thinking about that. I was actually thinking about that this morning. And I felt like... Jesus just said something uh, really profound to me. He said, Jamie, remember when you would spend hours looking at these pages, trying to find Waldo, and then once you found him, you actually didn't enjoy it. You just turned to the next page and just tried to find him again. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> And I started thinking, ouch, because sometimes that happens to us in the Christian life, doesn't it? And sometimes we'll come to church, we'll do the church stuff, there's a sense like, I've come to faith in Christ, I have a relationship with Jesus, this is awesome, I start doing some stuff, and I actually am trying to find Jesus, or be around Jesus, or do Jesus stuff, but I'm actually not enjoying Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? And just so you think I'm not heretical... Jesus tells, or Luke tells us a story and it illustrates this. This is in Luke 10. By the way, this is all introduction before we actually jump into the text. <laughs> Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Luke writes, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, that is Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. <laughs> the two parables we're going to look at this morning have to do with the supreme value of the kingdom of God. But very specifically, the supreme value of the king himself. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go after the text. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you are a speaking God. You are a revealing God. And you have revealed yourself in your word. You have revealed yourself in your son, Jesus Christ. And we come this morning to hear from you. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here with us already. And I ask that you would give us eyes to see you in all of your glory. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our heart to see Jesus. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Matthew. The text. Matthew 13. The text is verses 44 to 46. I'm going to read the text. Then we're going to talk a little bit. Continuing on a series through the parables. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. So Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Second parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So let's talk about a little bit of definition and the big idea of these parables. What is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? By the way, that phrase, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, is interchangeable throughout the Gospels. So when you see kingdom of heaven, it's referring to the kingdom of God. And when you see kingdom of God, it's referring to the kingdom of heaven. But what is the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven? I think this is a fair definition. The kingdom is the kingly rule of God the Father over creation and people initiated by the ministry of Jesus Christ and sustained by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This kingdom is here and now, but will not be fully realized until the return of Christ. The kingdom of God advances as I acknowledge His authority and orient my life according to His will. The reason the kingdom is a kingdom is because there's a king, right? There's a king. There's a king. And the fact of the matter is, whether we acknowledge him as king or not, he is the king over everything. And he calls us into a relationship where we yield to him and we orient our lives to be with him. So the big idea of these two parables, as I see it, is this. The kingdom of God is so valuable that it's worth giving up everything to gain it. And this is not so much self-sacrifice, but a joyful abandonment of lesser delights in favor of the kingdom of God. In the two parables, in the first parable, you have a, a gentleman who is accidentally comes across this treasure. This person accidentally finds the kingdom of God. In the second parable, you have someone who's actually searching for something valuable. It's interesting. In the first one, this person accidentally comes across this treasure in a field. And in this culture, there's no banks. So you're not putting your money in a bank, right? So you're probably going to dig a hole and put it in a field. (laughs) It's got like a pirate's treasure kind of feel to it, right? This person comes across this treasure and he's so astounded by this treasure that he literally takes all of his uh, 
earthly goods, all of his assets, he liquidates it, and he purchases the field so that he can have what's in the field, that treasure right there. And then there's this merchant who's actively searching for this perfect pearl. He's going from store to store to store to store, looking for a perfect pearl. When he finds the perfect one, he actually goes, liquidates all of his assets so he can buy that one pearl. An interesting dynamic that I think the Lord is kind of going after us um, is this. Some of us enjoy just the act of shopping, not the thing we're purchasing. Are y'all hearing me? Like, if there's a sale, I'm going to buy something because I got a good deal on it. I don't really care about the thing. Is that too harsh? (laughs) I think that's true of the kingdom sometimes. Is our value the king or the things we do for the king? Do do I value him above everything else? And how does that manifest in my life? This isn't a bitter sacrifice of time, treasure, and talent, but it is a joyful abandonment of lesser delights so I can get the one thing that satisfies me, Jesus So it leads us to the so what. Because there should be some tension here. At least when I read the text, it causes tension in my heart. Because it it begs the question of Jamie, why don't I have joy in the king? And why does it feel like a chore to do the king's stuff? And why does it feel like I have to work myself up to do what I know I'm supposed to do? Is that just me or does anybody else feel that way? It, it puts tension in our heart. I'm challenged by my own lack of joy in Jesus. And I think part of it has to do with blindness. Look at verse 44. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden. Everyone say hidden. Hidden. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Hidden in a field. Why is it hidden? (laughs) In fact, Jesus earlier in previous parables defines the field as the world. I think there's something to this life in which the enemy or our own personality and behavior or the world itself is constantly blinding us to the glory of Jesus. Do y'all feel that? Like there's a sense where there's a hiddenness. I get up in the morning and sometimes I'm not thinking about the glorious King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus. Why? Why would that be? Sorry, I'm doing a little bit of therapy up here, but it's like, but I feel it. This this man finds a treasure, runs off in joy, and literally sells everything. And it didn't hurt him at all to do it because he was so enraptured by the thing he was going to get. The kingdom. I think there's a couple of things for us to consider. The first is the words of Jesus and then the words of Paul. First, the words of Jesus. These are the first things out of Jesus' mouth. First words out of his mouth in Mark chapter 1. It says this, Jesus came into Galilee... Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
repent and believe in the gospel. The first thing's out of Jesus' mouth. So he's been baptized. Holy Spirit has come and rested on him. He's been led into the wilderness. He's tempted in the wilderness, in the desert. First words out of his mouth. The time is now. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, some of us think repenting and believing is that one thing I did when I was six. But the truth is, we are repenting and needing to believe every day. I'm needing to repent and to believe right now that Jesus is good and that the good news is good. I'm not being saved every minute like, okay, I repent and believe, so now I'm saved again. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the process of sanctification whereby I'm staring at Jesus and I'm moving from one degree of glory to another as I gaze upon him. It's called the process of sanctification. I see Jesus and I stop what I'm doing and I want to be like Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. That's how we grow into Christ's likeness. We repent. I stop thinking what I'm thinking and I trust Jesus again. And I may need to do that in five minutes. So... Faith is not static. When I was six at camp, I accepted Jesus. Got it. In heaven, it's coming. This is going to be great. No, you need to repent and believe. And then tomorrow you need to repent and believe. And then tomorrow, and then the next day you need to repent and believe. And that means to turn from lesser joys that they're not satisfying you anyway and go ahead and be satisfied in Jesus. Like it's not satisfying you. Whatever you're you're doing, I've tried most all of it. Well, that's not fair. But... I've tried a lot of it, and it doesn't satisfy. Only Jesus does. And so there's a repent, stop, and turn and believe in Jesus, that he's enough, and that he's good, and that he's a delight, and he can satisfy. Repent and believe. Paul puts it another way. This is Colossians 1. I just want you to hear the way this church planter is praying for this church, praying for these people that he loves, because there's a key in here. This is a long text, but just, it's good for us to hear a lot of God's word. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes this. So we have not stopped praying for you. So the apostle is praying for these people. What's he praying? We've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. 
He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace. With everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You can hear it in Paul. He starts talking about what they need to be doing. Did you notice that? That you bear fruit in every good way. And he can't help himself. He wants to talk about Jesus. Do you hear it? Did you see it? Because he realizes motivating someone to do something doesn't work unless they really love Jesus. It's in the loving of him that I want to do what he's asking me to do. The kingdom is valuable because the king is supremely valuable. The kingdom is worth giving up everything for because the king is worth giving everything up for. And the fact that I don't see it from time to time is not his fault, but it's my fault. Jesus said, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is, what, this is what you want. Is it to go to heaven when you die? Is that what he said? <laughs> he said, this is eternal life, that they know you, Abba, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, that is what makes us whole, that is what satisfies us completely, is not going to heaven someday when we die, but getting Jesus and the Father right now. And then when we get there, they're there still. Like we get them now, the kingdom is now, and then we'll get to be with them forever. But we don't have to wait. There's a now. Are y'all following me? And theologians have a hard time with this because the kingdom is now, but not yet. It's already, but not yet. So there's a tension there. That's why when someone gets healed, guess what? Their body is going to break down and they're eventually going to die before Jesus comes back. Are y'all following me? Like when Lazarus was raised from the dead, guess what? He died again because the kingdom is now. He was raised from the dead, but not yet because he died again until the resurrection. Are y'all following So that's why when we pray for healing and something happens, that's great. The kingdom is now. That's amazing. But that person's getting sick again until, unless Jesus returns. So there's a now and a not yet. But what I'm encouraging us, don't wait. Let's see how much of we can get of him now. Now. And it's important to see The kingdom of God, sorry, back one more, sorry, I'm getting excited. The kingdom of God is defined by Jesus relationally, not chronologically, and I think that's important to know. Jesus defines the kingdom relationally, not chronologically. (laughs) I'm not waiting to get something, I can have Jesus now. And 
I'm not trying to earn something. I can get relationship with him right now. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like, growing in deeper fellowship and intimacy with the Father and with Jesus and the Holy Spirit right now. So let's apply this. Let's apply this. We're to seek first the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus writes, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It says, seek first and all these things. By the way, all these things are referring to anxious thoughts about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. He says, listen, don't worry about what you eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of. Your Father will give you all of these things. He says, seek first. So by the way, if you have anxiety, um, sometimes that's a tell that I'm not seeking first the kingdom. Not in that area, anyway. And the simple solution is to seek first the kingdom. And all of these things that you're worried about will be taken care of. Y'all see that? So seek first, that's area of priority, first above all things, to seek after first as priority the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's an imperative command, to seek first. So how do we seek first the kingdom of God, right? <laughs> how do I make the kingdom a priority? To seek first the kingdom means to orient my life around the king, his family, and his mission. To seek first the kingdom means to orient my life around the king, his family, and his mission. In this sermon series, we've been giving you tools. So we have a tool that is a picture that shows this. It's a practical picture of making the kingdom a priority. And by the way, this isn't a unique tool. This isn't a unique concept. This has been around for many, many years. Some people call it worship, community, and evangelism. We're using a tool that uses the phrase up, in, and out. Or in the frame of the, of the kingdom, I'm saying the king, his family, and his mission. Up, in, and out. And we get this from Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 19. We get it from Jesus himself. Jesus actually models in his own life what kingdom relationships, what a balanced kingdom relationship actually looks like. Because he balanced all three of the, these. The upward relationship in verse 12 the inward relationship with his community, verse 13 to 16, and the outward relationship in verses 17 to 19. Here's how that text goes. In those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. That's his upward relationship. Intimacy with Abba, hearing his voice, knowing the Father's love. Jesus was committed to a relationship with his Father. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I will only say what I hear the Father saying. You have to be in relationship with Abba if you're going to function that way. Isn't that right? If I'm only doing what I see him do and I'm only saying what I hear him say, then I need to have some sort of relational connection. Jesus was committed to that upward relationship with his heavenly Father. Then in verses 13 to 16... The Bible tells this. And when day came, he, Jesus, called his disciples and chose from them twelve. 
Simon, who we call named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So he calls a spiritual family to himself. He says, let's be together. Let's eat together. Let's minister together. Let's be together. Let's grow in relationship and in intimacy as a family, the family of God. Let's be together. So he wasn't only going to be with his father, he also wanted relationship with a family. He started building a family. Then he takes this family and he moves outward. He says, he came down with them. This is verses 17 to 19. He came down with them. So he takes this family and he comes down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So he's not content just with the relationship with the father or a relationship with this family of faith that he's building, but he takes that family and he goes out to those who are outside of the faith, outside of the kingdom, those who are in the kingdom of darkness. He begins to move out with them. So Jesus models for us what balancing our kingdom relationships look like. Up our relationship with the king. And the way that looks like here at MCC, one of the primary uh, mechanisms for that is our corporate worship gatherings. For us to worship the king together. And then the inward relationship. So our small groups and Bible studies that are, are together and challenging one another and, and pushing one another to, to obey Jesus more closely. That's a, a prime discipleship time in our small groups and in our Bible studies. And then outward, as we go to church-wide events, like the upcoming joint worship service, like the upcoming Saturate that we're doing. In our small group training on July 31st, we're going to be talking about what does it look like for us to take our small groups out so that we're balanced in our relationships. So we can just use this as a tool to ask ourselves the question, up, am I growing in deeper intimacy and friendship with the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? Like, where's my heart with regard to him? In the inward family, we're asking, am I growing in deeper intimacy and friendship with the family of God? Like, are there believers in my life that I'm growing into deeper fellowship with? And then the out question, am I actively engaged with those who are outside of the faith? Am I intentional about relationships with those who don't know Jesus and that are in the kingdom of darkness? That's a challenge, isn't it? Because we're all on different scales on all three of these, aren't we, friends? It's like a stool that has three legs. And if you lose one of those legs, what happens with a two-legged stool? Does anybody know what happens with a two-legged stool? It don't work. <laughs> You're going to fall. What happens with a one-legged stool? Maybe at the circus, if you put a, you know, a wheel on the bottom of it or something, but that doesn't work either. The minimum number of legs for a stool to stand is three. And we're all in, in, in process on these three, aren't we? So you might ask the question, is there a part of me that really loves my small group and really loves the Bible study that I'm in, but I'm a, I don't really care to 
get up on a Sunday morning and like get together with everybody. I don't, it's not really a thing for me. Because if your heart's not wanting to worship the king, then I would say that you're not seeking first the kingdom. And by the way, I'm saying this to myself. <laughs> or let's say you're all about the worship gatherings, but you know, being in small group, it just gets a little bit messy. I'm just not sure I want to do that. By the way, Jesus knows it's messy. Did you notice that one of the disciples he, he called, it says he was a traitor. If you think that you're going to be in a small group and never get stabbed in the back, you don't understand the kingdom. I'm joking, but being serious. Because actually, that's messy. <laughs> you start getting around people, we start talking, we start challenging one another, somebody's going to get stabbed in the back. And Jesus calls us to it. In fact, he was willing to go for it. <laughs> but I would say, if you're not willing, and there's something inside that says, I don't, I don't want to do that, then I would say you're not seeking first the kingdom. Or let's say, we really, really love our group or we really love our Bible study, but going to the Madison Rec Center on August 18th and being outside, nah, and being around people I don't know, nah, and sharing my faith and pushing my small group outward, I don't want to do that. Then I would say that I'm not sure that you're seeking first the kingdom. And I would say to my own heart, Jamie, I'm not sure that you're seeking first the kingdom. So it's a tool that allows us to begin to ask the question, Father, what are you saying to me about the way I'm balancing my relationships and orienting my life? What of those three do I need to adjust? Where do I need to adjust? What simple things can I do to be a little bit stronger, maybe on up or on in or on out, depending on what the Father says to you? So the call is this, and the reason I put the Waldo thing at the beginning is it's fun, right? But I do think that the enemy is busy distracting us from seeing the beauty of Jesus. I think that's what he's saying, is that the enemy wants us distracted, and to use a sports metaphor, he wants us sitting on the sidelines not engaging with the king, his family, or his mission. He wants us distracted by all kinds of different things. So what are we going to do? Three encouragements, and then we're going to pray and ask the Lord to minister to us. Three encouragements. Number one, pray for each other and yourself to see the beauty of Jesus. Paul, Paul actually does this to the Ephesian church. He goes, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be opened. So go ahead and pray for yourself. Say, Jesus, I want the eyes of my heart opened. I don't want to be blinded to how beautiful you are. Pray for yourself and pray for your church. Pray for your staff. Pray for Dennis. Pray for the staff and the elders that we wouldn't lose joy in Jesus. Are y'all hearing me? That we wouldn't be distracted by the things of this world. That we'd run after him. Secondly, identify which of those three the Father is targeting in your own heart. This is what I love about preaching. 
is that I can kind of just get up here and just say whatever, assuming it's biblical. I can kind of just say whatever. The spirit is attacking every single one of you with something I've said or something that I didn't even say, but he's coming after you. Are y'all following me? That's how the spirit works. Is that I'm talking and the spirit is targeting things in your heart. In fact, some of you, your heart just feels like it's going. That's what's so great about the spirit. He's talking to all of us all the time. And I don't even know half of, I don't even know half of you all. But he does. And he's coming after every single one of us. So what is the father targeting in your life? Maybe it's your personal relationship with him. Maybe it's your relationship with the body of Christ, with the family of faith, with this church family. About engaging and jumping in, being vulnerable and transparent, even when it looks like you might get hurt. Or maybe it's regard to intentionality of moving outward to those who do not know him yet. So just ask the Father, which of these three are you targeting And then thirdly, empowered by the Holy Spirit, make one simple change this week to move in that direction. Just one simple change. Maybe for the up component, maybe the change is, you know what? I really haven't been listening to him through his word. I need to spend some time with him. Spend some time, crack this puppy open, and listen. Maybe it's, you know what, I really need to engage my small group or I need to start a small group or I need to really engage my Bible study and be open and authentic and vulnerable. Think through, what what would that look like? What steps would I take? And then finally, maybe there's something about intentionality towards my neighbors that don't know Jesus or towards this zip code, Right? But empowered by the Holy Spirit, make one simple change this week in one of those three areas. I'm going to invite the prayer servants to come up and our worship leaders to come up. We're just going to take a little bit of time. Take a little bit of time for the Father to speak. And there may be some of you here. um, You realize that you're not in the kingdom at all. You want to receive forgiveness. You want to enter into the kingdom. You want to turn and believe in Jesus for the first time today. And I'm going to be right here. You can come talk to me. But we have prayer servants here. If you need to receive prayer for anything, anything regarding this message, or maybe there's an area of healing in your life, an area of breakthrough that you're needing, these prayer servants are available to pray with you. But I encourage all of us. In fact, let's stand. Let's stand. I encourage all of us. There is something for each of us to do right now. Could be in the up, could be in the in, could be in the out. And I encourage you, ask the Father, what are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do about it? Let me pray for us, and then we're just going to spend time in prayer, and then we're going to sing as we are dismissed. Father, we come before you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you will give ears to hear to your people.
Jesus, I ask that you will speak clearly to your brothers and sisters, to my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, would you move among us? We're giving you space to do what you want to do. We want to be people of joy. We want to be people of delighting in Christ. We want to be people that will joyfully abandon everything to get more of you, Jesus. So stir our hearts, Holy Spirit, and give us eyes for the King. Holy Spirit, come.